If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, and my friends. In today's episode, we are going to be talking to Johnny Martinez about the benefits of executive coaching. So I think I may have said this recently, but let me just ask you, friends, do you know what percentage of professional athletes have coaches? If you said 100%, you're right. If you said anything less than 100%, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. And here's the deal. You could be the best quarterback in the world. You could be the best professional tennis player, professional soccer player in the world. And do you know what? You're going to have a coach. In fact, you're probably going to have a team of coaches if you literally are an elite top-level athlete. But if you're a mid-tier athlete, you're also going to have a coach as well. And I find it so interesting because in the for-profit sector, coaching is really common. And not just for chief executives, but middle managers and then senior executives in the for-profit sector often get coaching. It is becoming more and more common in the nonprofit sector, more, frankly, among director levels, so executive director, development director, et cetera. So that's why I really wanted to have this conversation with Johnny. And full disclosure, Johnny is actually a coaching client of mine. We're about halfway through or so a year of chief executive coaching. And when I first met Johnny, I was facilitating the strategic planning project for Northern Cares, and Johnny was on staff there. And about 18 months later, he became their executive director. And I'll share with you, he not only became their executive director, but he also became a first-time executive director. And anyone who's been a first-time executive director knows that there is a steep learning curve when you become a first-time ED. And also, by the way, suddenly you're experiencing things in ways that you have never, ever before. No one else in the organization sees what you see as an executive director. The board doesn't, and other staff members don't. And it's a really new, sometimes almost confusing perspective to have as a new first-time executive director. And so, as I've already mentioned, Johnny and I have been in a coaching relationship for about half a year now, and he has graciously agreed to join me on the podcast to discuss executive coaching. Hey, Johnny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dolph. I am very excited to be here. 
I am thrilled that you were here. You saw me just make a strange face because I almost tipped my glass of water over, by the way. <laughs> this is the last recording session of the day. I know you're on Arizona time, so you're three hours behind me right now. But it's 5.30 here, and this is the last one of the day. Always the best one. I've recorded five or six episodes. This is always, always, always the best one. But it's also the one where I'm most likely to tip my water over. So let me ask you, Johnny, when you first started coaching, what were you hoping to get out of it? Well, there were a few things I was looking for. The most important thing I was looking for was my confidence in my position. Coming into this new position, I didn't have a lot of leadership training. I was working a lot into the unknown. Not only are you learning the different ins and outs of your organization that you might not have known before, but now you're trying to figure out a new position that comes with a lot more duties that most other positions do not have to deal with. The first big problem I had in my first few months as executive director I constantly questioned every single thing I did, every single decision I made. Anytime I spoke with somebody, you know, it doesn't look good when they can hear in your voice that you're giving an answer, but you're kind of looking for their response to see if like, oh, is that the right answer? Or, you know, am I telling you what I should be telling you? This training has really helped me become more confident in myself in this position. The second guessing, even though usually it's always going to be there, I now have a lot more confidence in my decision-making. And then moving from that theme of the confidence was just the ability to make decisions. It's a little bit different from that confidence, but it's just that situation of how do you develop everything you need to to make a decision. Before this, I was a case manager. We have a manual on how to do the job. You have the regulations. You know what you're working off of. But yet again, this is as an executive director, there are a lot more smaller intricacies that I have to follow. Probably the most difficult thing I've had is managing people that I used to work with and some, you know, work under. I know for some people that may not sound very difficult, but for me, I definitely feel that it would have been easier coming into a whole place with people I've never known than coming into a place in a management position where you've worked with everybody already. And I do have to say, I mean, whether or not it sounds difficult to someone, you know, much like at the top of the show when I talked about every professional athlete has a coach, even if you think it's going to be simple, you're probably still going to perform better if you've got a coach that you can kind of bounce ideas off of and say, okay, let's talk about this in a really safe space where it's not your board chair who's going to evaluate you and talk to the board about you and you can't talk to any staff about it. Yes, that's a big one. I'm definitely not a advocate for office gossip, but that's a big thing now, whether it's working with people you've already worked with, making decisions on grants, a lot of stuff that you're doing, you can't exactly go around and, you know, speak to staff about it because the way you carry yourself in the office can really set the mood for the rest of the staff. I have a quick question for you. I'd be curious to know what has surprised you about coaching? If I'm being honest, and this is nothing against you, when I first started the coaching I wasn't really sure what I was going to get out of it because you think of coaching for sports, you think of coaching for different things. And I'm thinking to myself, is this just going to be like all those other trainings where, oh, here's your presentation, you read this and you go home and you think about it and then, okay, what did you get out of it? The biggest thing is how you've been able to use different examples. You even take things that I'm going through in current times as you help walk me through them. But I've been really, really surprised and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the podcast, but this training, this coaching, out of any training I've ever gotten anywhere else has really, really helped me develop, not just in my 
position, but just as a professional in general, I've really been able to take what you've taught me and actually apply it. Every single session that we have had, I have taken something from each of those sessions and I use it on a day-to-day basis. There is not a day that has gone by since I've started training with you, since I've started the coaching sessions, that I have not used some kind of tool that you have given me to do my job. And I do not feel I would be in the position I am now without the coaching that I have received. Well, thank you, John. And I'll share that that makes me feel so good. But I also have to say, like, I'm always impressed because you do the work. An example I've given, you mentioned, like, you and I will review a balance sheet and profit and loss statement. We'll talk about the key things to look at. And then I'll say, okay, your next monthly set of financial statements is coming out in a couple of weeks. So between now and the next time we meet, you know, will you look at it and you're going to walk me through it and you do it. Like, you know, then you make sure you get those statements and you take a look at them before we meet and then you do it and you walk me through it. And it's incredibly gratifying to see. I think you and I talked about this one time in a coaching session. I think I said to you, like, you're the Luke Skywalker in this story and I'm Yoda. And really without Luke Skywalker, all Yoda is is some creepy green creature in the forest somewhere that talks to itself. That's all Yoda is. So I'm honestly, I'm always incredibly grateful. Obviously, we're not going to talk about anything confidential. Is there a moment in a coaching session that really stands out for you where you were like, oh, yeah, this was a crystallizing moment for me? There were two moments for me that really stuck out that really have stuck with me. The first one was during our first coaching session. You had told me that, you know, as an executive director, as a CEO, it's a lonely position. You don't really have anyone to confide in. There's a lot of situations that you have to keep to yourself. That moment right there solidified for me that, you know, you knew the position, you knew what I was going through and that you were going to be honest with me. I knew at that moment that I felt like I was going to get the coaching that I actually needed. The second moment was we were talking about doing an HR issue. It was something I had never done. And as we kept doing the training, I had always thought, especially in a position like this, that there's only one way to do things and that's it. But you had started to lay out all these different things and all these tools that I could use, whether they were inside the company or outside the company, to get this situation resolved. You know, you started asking me about, do you have any contractor that I could contact? It was, you know, that you would ask me about an HR attorney that we had worked with in the past year at Northland Cares. And then you had started to strategize with me. This is how these can be done, you know, moving forward. And you started presenting all these different possibilities that could come up during this situation and how to handle it. That right there really stuck out with me, being someone who's used to training that everything is always just trained to you in, this is what happens in a perfect world, so this is how you're going to get this done. But you sat there and went through all these different things that could possibly happen during the situation. You asked me, did you get this? Did you, I don't really want to mention too much of Yeah, yeah, we're not going to go into detail there, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, but you would ask me if I had everything that I needed to so that if anything happened in the future, all these things were there, prepared, and ready. And, of course, I believe out of the few situations we talked about that could possibly happen, three of them did happen, and I was prepared for them. So those were two really big defining moments for me just because it really helps keep me prepared in no matter what situation, and I feel like – There is so much that we've talked about that even when I get surprises that come up, I'm ready to deal with them. 
Yeah. And I'll share with you, Johnny, there are two moments that really stand out for me. Are you okay if we talk about the value of your time? Yes. Yes, I am. Because now that we talk about that, I wish I would have talked about that one too. I remember that felt like a really big breakthrough in our coaching when we talked about the value of your time and really like what a really high value as a chief executive your time has. And it's not two or three times what you get paid. It's, you know, hundreds of times what you get paid. I know that really has helped us throughout our coaching process together because there's multiple times, you know, when I'll be like, well, remind me, what's the value of your time? You'll be like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. That's something that someone else is going to do. Yes, that actually, I would love a chance to speak about that. Yeah, that constantly, every single day when something happens, I get an email, anything comes up. That's one of the first questions I ask. So when it comes to Northland Cares and me doing my work, when something is proposed to me, my first question always is, what are our mission, vision, and values? Does it fit with that? Should we move forward with trying to do something like this? I am like that with every single thing when it comes to my work and when I get request anything like that that other question is is this worth my time not in a, you know trying to write something off or trying to be rude but just really thinking like is my time better spent doing something else when this can be handled by someone else is this really going to help me move my vision and the team's vision for the organization forward i remember when we first had that conversation that really like hit me because that I was having the hardest time trying to figure out like, well, should I deal with these things? What should I do when this happens? We went over the budget. We went over what I was hoping to grow the budget for. And then you said, okay, so after doing all these calculations, this is what your time is worth. And I believe it was like, I can't remember the number right off my head, but I know it's over $2,500. An hour, $2,500 an hour, mind you, not not a day, an hour. Yeah, not a day, an hour, <laughs> you had said this is how much your time is worth an hour when you're doing things. Is that the value that you're getting from doing those things? So that's how I think about it all the time now. Is this worth this? In order for me to get to the budget amount that I would like to get to next year, this is you know how much I would have to make an hour to get there. And it's really about not necessarily you know even bringing that much money in, but your time what you're spending your time on has that value of 2,500, moves the organization forward, moves the needle on programs, moves the needle on operations, on fundraising, et cetera. And I know we also talked about the fact that that's an average. So, you know, we can't beat ourselves up where we're like, oh, wow, you know, I just had a mindless conversation with somebody and that was half an hour and now I'm behind. So we can't be, it's an average, but on average, that's the value we have to bring if our organizations are going to grow and thrive. My friends who are listening, obviously, this depends on the size of your organization. There's a high value on this time. The other one that really stood out to me, I remember there was a time that you were really struggling. You were trying to decide around a proposal to the board. You had two top choices. And that one also really stood out to me because, I mean, this was really tough. You're like, oh, there's A, and here's the advantages and disadvantages of A. We're not going to talk about what specifically that was. And then B, there's advantages and disadvantages to B. Oh, I'm really torn. And then eventually we got down just to a really simple question. And that simple question was, hey, Johnny, if you brought this to the board and the board chose A, how would you feel about it? And you're like, oh, I'd feel pretty good. And if the board chose B, how would you feel about it? Oh, I'd feel it was a mistake. And so, I, you know, I looked at you and was like, well, Johnny, you already made your decision. You already, you know, you, you've already decided which one you want to propose to the board. Yeah, I remember that exactly. You can sit there and go through these different things in your head and just have someone ask you the simple question of, well, what would you choose? And then it's like you answer it going, oh, wow. 
Yeah, that's exactly what I would do. And then it's like, oh, well, there you go. We can be our own worst enemies. You have these things that bounce around in your head. Like you said, is it A, is it B? They both have good advantages. They both have this. What would you do? Well, if you were to, you know, if the board was decided on either of these, how would you feel? And that wasn't even something I didn't even, I never even thought of. I was just thinking of, you know, how to present this to the board, how to do this, how to do that. And just one simple question of which one would you go with? Oh, well, there you go. There's your answer, Johnny. Exactly. And if the board forced the other one on you, how would you feel about it? Oh, I would think it would be a mistake. And from my perspective, okay, then you know what you need to present to the board. Hey, this is the option I think we should do. Yes, exactly. And I think that's, you know, because me being a first-time executive director, I've never worked with the board before. So you are trying to figure out this different communication. And so not only did that help me with, you know, making those decisions, the confidence of my decisions, but that ability just to be able to say, oh, well, you know, here's another technique when presenting things to the board. Like, this is just how you go with it. Sometimes you always want to be honest and open with your board, but sometimes there's things that, you know, if this is what you feel confident with, you're the CEO, you're the executive director, you are trying to move that mission forward. And when you're meeting with your board, you're there to give the meats and potatoes of certain things because you're trying to save their time. You're trying to get to the bottom of the situation or to get to an answer. So rather than going and saying, hey, here are the five different things, yet again, you're the executive director, you're the CEO. What do you think is best for the organization? And then you present it that way. And just that simple thing of you asking me that made me realize all those things that I just talked about. Just a simple one phrase, one question. And it was like, oh yeah, there you go. Well, thank you. And Johnny, I'm actually going to take us somewhere different. I'm going to take us to the the off-the-map question. We both participate in, although in different sports, we both participate in a combat sport. You do Mai Tai, and you've been doing Mai Tai for, uh, gosh, almost two decades. And I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for about two decades. And so I already know that about you. But what I would love to know is, why did you start Mai Tai? I started Muay Thai. It was my junior year of high school. I remember... At the time, I had just started working out. So this is a really funny story. And I actually love getting to share it. My nickname in high school used to be Scrawny Johnny. No way, really? Yes. I was known as Scrawny Johnny. I was maybe 115 pounds, you know, and that was on a good day when I had a few big meals. At the time, I was just really trying to find where I fit in physically. I know that that sounds like a, I don't want to say weird thing, but just... To give a little background on that, actually, I had played multiple sports. I had played soccer. You know, I played basketball, baseball, football, soccer. I just, oh, I, you know, I wasn't tall enough to play the goalie. I wasn't fast enough to do these other positions. You know, basketball just didn't have the skill. Baseball to me, no offense to anybody, but baseball to me was just boring. And then I got to football and I was like, oh, this is great. It's a little bit more physical. It's a little bit more fast paced. But just as I got older, you know, you do start to realize like, man, size really plays, really plays a big part in that sport. And so I hit the gym my sophomore year because junior year coming back, I'm going to get huge. I'm going to be yoked and I'm going to be a force on the football field. And halfway through that summer, I meet this gentleman at the gym and he starts talking to me about Muay Thai. And he starts talking to me about how, you know, he's been teaching for a very long time. He has his own school and these are all the people that he's taught and some people that, you know, have competed for him. And at the time I was really big into action movies and stuff like that. So like I knew what he was talking about and I was like, you know what? 
now kind of comes into more of the personal side. But, you know, when I was a kid growing up, where I grew up in was a little rough. And I always just thought like, oh, man, this can really give me an edge to be able to handle myself where I'm at. And, you know, also be a cool story to be able to tell people like, you know, oh, I do Muay Thai. You should be afraid of me. And I started doing it. And I had my first kind of mini sparring session because he wanted to see where I was at. And it really made me mad because he put me in the ring with his daughter. And at the time, like I said, I was a kid growing up. I definitely was just like, oh, come on, you know, like I'm, we can't do this, you know? And he was just like, oh yeah, you know, take it easy on her. Well, what I didn't know was that, you know, his daughter- Real quick, I already know where this is going. I've seen this story play out. (laughs) Yes, you, I'm pretty sure you know exactly where this is going. So, you know, she was only a year older than me. She was 16. But what I didn't know before we started that my coach decided to leave out was that she had been training since she was about six years old. She was a monster. I just remember, you know, going and I start trying to do some heavy shots because I'm trying to be all impressive. And she just moved in, caught me in the back of my head with a half clinch, gave me a nice just horizontal elbow to my right above my eyebrow. And I just remember falling down and you know, the left side of my face getting very warm because I was bleeding and, you know, he stood me up and was just like, oh, you're okay. You're okay. So what did you learn there? And at that moment, that's when I was like, it's funny because for a lot of people, it is a big decision. Oh, am I going to keep doing this? Do I really want to keep getting hit for fun? But at that moment for me, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I've stuck with it ever since because not only is it great for physical fitness and it's, you know, especially as you get older, you know, I moved, you know, from high school to college to professional life. It's a great way to let out stress and it's a fun time doing it as well. It hits in all facets of my life, whether it's me being a dad, being with my family, whether it's here at work, I'm constantly taking the things that I've learned from Muay Thai. You know, not that I'm trying to say that I'm like going around and just fighting people every day. I don't mean that, but just those different areas, you know, like discipline, relaxation, being calm, taking those things and using them in life has just been amazing for me. In the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world, I'm old. I'm in my 50s and I'm small. You and I met one time when we were both in San Diego. So you know how small I am. Whenever I'm going to spar with someone for the first time, I always ask them, you know, how long have you trained? And then they tell me, and then I ask them, you know, where have you trained? And it's interesting. I not thought about it in terms of coaching, but you're absolutely right. When the people are like, oh, I've just done a lot of YouTube training, I always think, okay, well, this person is in for a rude awakening because their YouTube coaching is not going to help them in this. Yeah, well, that's it's a perfect way to put it. Yeah, it's one thing when you have a video telling you all these things, but it's another thing when you're standing there with somebody And those little, little details that you don't realize, like, because you do the YouTube videos and you think, oh, man, I got this. But then you go in and you have somebody who's been doing this for so long, watching every single little movement. And to be able to tell somebody like, you know, your foot's not pointed the right way. How simple sometimes things could be a fix as a coach. And I think that's that big difference of getting that live coaching, getting that stuff happening right then and there, and then just going and watching it on YouTube or, oh, you know, I read a book and the book told me how to do these things. So I can figure myself a black belt right now in jujitsu. You know, I read all this stuff and I practiced with the air and that stuff is great and it is needed. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to put that into practice. And there's just things you cannot get from a book or a YouTube video that you are going to get from your coach. Yeah, I love that. And I read a book 
anything about martial arts that starts. I read a book. That's old school. I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I always want to make sure that our listeners know how to find you. And so, my friends, you can go to northlandcares.org. That is the website of the organization that Johnny runs. And while you are there, you can check out all the services that they offer, as well as their incredible staff. And if you want to see what they're doing around online giving, and I always think it's a great idea to go just go and see what other organizations are doing around online giving. So you also can click the donate button and see what they're doing. Johnny, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I am really, really happy that I've got the chance to be able to talk about this and to be able especially to be able to get interviewed by you to talk about this because I definitely love being able to, you know, share all these great things. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure as always. So thank you, Dolph. Thank you. And my friends, if you have liked this episode, there are two other episodes that I think you should consider. One is episode 209, Insider Tips from an Executive Assistant with Jeremy Burroughs. If you are a chief executive and are thinking about getting an executive assistant, you should absolutely listen to episode 209. The other, because I know for a lot of people who are listening to this episode, they're like, okay, I think my next job is going to be an executive director position. And so that would be episode 222, Landing Your Dream Job with Chris Holmes. That, my friends, is our episode for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And the attorneys make me do it. I am not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the consulting practice provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If that is what you need, please, please, please do not rely on a podcast for that. Find a licensed, qualified professional in your area and get the advice you need.